we serve. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Turn to page number 30 with me, if you would. And we're going to sing verses 2, 3, and 4 as a congregation together this morning. All hail the power of Jesus' name on that second verse. Ye chosen seed of Israel's grace, ye ransomed from the good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. And I'm uh, sure glad that you are uh, here this morning. I didn't know if I was going to walk up here and go buongiorno. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, it's good to be where people speak English and you know what they're saying and you know if they're talking about you or not. All right. And uh, but I did want to just say to Faith Baptist Church, thank you. Uh, thank you for allowing us uh, to go. Uh, it was certainly a trip of a lifetime. Thank you for even having a part uh, in it and uh, expense-wise and things like that. We had a blast, but uh, we are very grateful to be home and sure appreciate you praying uh, for us. We could certainly see God's hand in everything, but looking forward to this morning and what God uh, has for us. Uh, I can now say that I have been to Rome and we're going to be preaching from the book of Romans. Amen. So that's pretty exciting uh, stuff there, but uh, just amazing uh, everything and hopefully be able to share uh, some stuff maybe in the message this morning. I got a whole lot of illustrations now, amen, and uh, things like that. And uh, somebody was saying we want to see pictures and stuff like that. And I thought about tonight we'd just have a service and just cover the trip, amen. I uh, no. <clears throat> I tell you this, pictures don't do it justice. It really doesn't. Whether it was the mountains and the Mediterranean Sea or the plate of lasagna, pictures don't do it justice, amen. Uh, but sure thankful this morning. Did just want to mention a few things. Uh, certainly the men's recharge that's coming up this week, Friday and Saturday, men that signed up for that, don't forget about that, be leaving at noon on Friday and heading down to Andover, Kansas. Uh, looking forward to the GIBF meeting uh, this week at Riverside Baptist Church up in St. Joseph, uh, Missouri, and so Brother Eric Watson, our assistant pastor, is going to be preaching again uh, this Wednesday night as I'll be up there uh, attending that and preaching. I'll actually be preaching on Wednesday uh, morning, and so would appreciate it if you would pray uh, for me uh, in that regard. And then also pray, continue to pray for Brother Dean Herring, our uh, guest preacher for the fall revival coming up in October. And so trust you've been fasting and praying. Last week was your choice, 
And so this week is sweets, and so I made it just in time back to fast from sweets, amen. Uh, but I do want to encourage you to be a, uh, participate in that and pray uh, for Brother Herring and looking forward to a great meeting October the 8th through uh, the 13th, and so I know that will be a blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask God's blessing on our services this morning. I'm going to ask my friend, Brother David Griffin, if you would pray for us this morning. Amen. Won't you be seated this morning? And Brother Eric, you come ahead with us. Amen. Let's continue singing from page 17. Page number 17. A mighty fortress is our God. We'll sing all four verses this morning. Page number 17. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never
Somebody say amen this morning. Praise the Lord. Just stand with me, please. Just turn one page to your right. To God be the glory, all things he has done. We'll sing page 19, and then we'll go across to page number 20. Page number 19, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son. shake hands together this morning. Good to have each one of you here. Glad for those visiting with us, some visiting back. We're thankful you chose to be here this morning.
Page number 19, if you lost that page number. Verse number 3, great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. We'll go right into page number 20. Sing it out on that third verse. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And give him the glory, great things he had done. Page 20. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the Tim, come run here. The men will come ahead for the offering. I'd like to read you from the Gospel of John. We started preaching through John in teens on Wednesday night. We titled it, Who is this Jesus? And he answers that question right off the bat. In chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then down in verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Brother Parker, would you pray for the offering this morning? Amen. You may be seated.
Let's turn to page number 45 and stand one last time, if you would. Page number 45. One day, the Lord is going to return. Amen. Let's sing it together on that first verse. One day when heaven was filled with his praises. One day when heaven was filled with his praises. One day when sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin. Dwelt among men, my example is he. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, bearing he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on the tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he suffering free angels came down always to individual hope of the hopeless my savior is me living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. trumpet will sound for his coming one day the skies with his glory will shine wonderful day my beloved one's bringing glorious savior this jesus is mine living he loved me dying he saved me buried 
for his coming. Say amen this morning. Praise the Lord. Great singing. You may be seated. Just before the message this morning, the ensemble is going to sing a song entitled, God's Word Changes Lives.
you got to preach after that, amen? My goodness, all I could think about was a lost man at the age of 20 and my life being a wreck and so thankful I listened to the Word of God and got saved. And I can testify this morning, God's Word does change lives, amen? And uh, what a blessing, sure appreciate all that very much. Well, it uh, has been a, I wanted to preach this morning and I wanted to preach uh, tonight because uh, it's been a, a two, about two and a half weeks and been out of the pulpit. And uh, so I knew I was going to be preaching to preachers all over the country on, on uh, Wednesday. And so I figured I better get my legs back under me on preaching. Amen. And, uh, you know, because it's, I, you, you were kind of worried about stuff like that. Because, I mean, I hadn't drove either. Because I'm telling you, when I got over to Italy and I rode in a taxi cab for about five minutes, I looked over to Natalie and said, I'm glad I ain't driving. These people are crazy over here, man. Stop signs and red lights and all, that's just optional over there, man. And, and so anyways, I, I got back home and, and got in the Jeep and I realized I could still drive. So hopefully after today I can realize I, I still can preach, amen. Uh, but it's just been a blessing and uh, looking forward to this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans and, and chapter number 14, and, and don't stand uh, just yet because I do want to kind of just take some time here. It's obviously, it's been a couple of weeks since we were in this, and, and, and really I, I feel like that for, in order for us to kind of understand fully the context as to what we're going to be looking at this morning, we really kind of got to understand the entirety of what's going on here in the chapter and so it's kind of kind of rehash, if you will, some some things that we looked at a few weeks ago when we started here. And and let me just kind of put it to you like this: If you've been here for the messages and things like that, then you then you know this that Paul is really he's he's dealt extensively on how we are to treat other people. I think that's important, isn't it? As God's people, that we have a godly testimony that we manifest the character of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives if we are saved. And so you can go all the way back to chapter number 11, and, and he is dealing with the Gentiles, and he begins to bring up in verse number 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, talking about the Jews who had rejected Christ. And really what he's saying there is this, is that to the Gentile believers that those, they, they may despise you and even view you as enemies, but you're not to see them in that same light. They are your mission field. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like you needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's kind of dealing with that and bringing that out. And then in chapter number 13, I believe he's really talking to the Jewish believers because he brings out the law and talks about how that uh, loving one another is fulfilling the law. And so he begins to bring that out. And in fact, in verse number 10, he says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And that word ill there, there is the idea of looking down upon someone, devaluing them. And what he's saying to them is this, is that you have a debt to love others, to love your neighbor, to deem them as valuable. And here's why. Because Christ deems them valuable. He died for them, and He wants them to be saved just like He died for you and me and wants us to be saved. Now, you understand He's dealing with all of that, but beginning in chapter number 14, what I believe that Paul does is this, is that he now turns inwardly, meaning those inside the church. All right? And he begins to deal with this diversity 
among believers. That, that, that's just the idea of this, that people are different as to where they're at based on their, on their background and their spiritual growth. Everybody's different. All right, some of you are looking at me and going, he ain't from Kansas. Exactly, all right? Uh, uh, That's just how it is. And and so we know this, that there are people, you you know, even in the book of Romans, there were were Jews and there were Gentiles. Uh, There's rich, there's poor, there's black, there's white, there's Coke, and there's Pepsi. All right? Everybody is different, all right? But, But we also know this, that some have matured in the faith, and there are some that are still immature, what he calls weak in the faith. But I also know this, every one of us need to grow in our faith. All right, so he begins to deal with that. But here's, listen, here's why he deals with this. Well, well, certainly one of those is this. Whether you realize it or not, or even whether you want to acknowledge it or not, we need each other. Listen, I, I'm so sick of this, this generation that says you don't need church. That is a lie. You do need church. Christ died for the church and gave himself for the church. So let's not say something as silly as that. You need church. You need a place where you can grow and hear the preaching of God's word and grow in your faith and learn what you believe and why you believe it. I'm telling you, we need one another. We, we need church. But, but here's, the, here's the other reason, and you've got to grab a hold of this. It would be awfully hypocritical for us to love those out there Yet there be a tremendous amount of strife and contention in here. And so we've got to learn that there's just differences. And, and so we've got to learn to have the right attitudes and, and those kind of things. And so that's where we pick up at in chapter number 14. Why don't you stand in honor of God's Word if you're able to stand this morning. And, and certainly want to honor God's Word. But notice what he says here. And again, these are things that we looked at in the last message. But they're worthy of of kind of going through again and reading for the context sake. So notice he says this in verse number 1. He says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. That means this, don't argue with them. All right, don't argue on Facebook with them. You're wasting your time. He says, For one believeth that he may eat all things, glory, hallelujah, and another who is weak eateth herbs. All right, so he's a vegetarian. You can eat meat, praise God. Just wouldn't advise eating a lot of, you know, just, you know, but bacon's all right, so help you. But, but now notice what he says here. Now, we're gonna, now, what, now hold on now, there's, there's biblical principles here we're going to see. But he says, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, because we would never do that. Yeah, we would. And so he says, for God hath received him. You know, because when people aren't like us, it's real easy to get the wrong attitude towards somebody, isn't it? He says, who art thou that judgest another man's servant? You know this, they don't belong to you, they belong to him. He says, to his own master, he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another, uh, another esteemeth every day alike. You might be here this morning and don't celebrate Christmas. Well, I do, that's okay. I especially celebrate Thanksgiving. And we don't have herbs. So, so he, he says, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, uh, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. 
And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us live to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Now this is if you're saved. Watch this. If you live, you live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Aren't you glad for that? And he goes on and says, For this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be, the, that he might be Lord both of the dead uh, and living. Now we're going to pick up here in verse number 10. And I would say to you this, this is kind of like a gut punch to all of this. Because here's what he says in verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee. Listen, did you get that? Every knee. That's yours too. That's mine. Every knee in here. Every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I'm going to stop there. I actually had in my notes to go to verse number 13, but we won't make it that far this morning. And really, I believe it pertains to the next paragraph of scriptures. But here's what I want to kind of give to you. As Paul is dealing with this diversity, and he's warning of these attitudes of maybe arrogancy that we could have towards one another or criticizing and judging, you know, slandering one another. He brings up the judgment seat of Christ in all of this. And I believe it's the idea of saying this, that when it comes to dealing with differences in others, you're not the one that others will answer to. You're going to answer to Him just like they will answer to Him. And so therefore, this needs to be kept in mind in light of us dealing with our diversities. I wrote this down. I just want to read it to you very quickly and then we'll pray and be seated. But as I studied this, this is what I thought about. The average Christian today in America gives little to zero thought about the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Yet it was predominant among the mindset of early Christianity. Well, how do you know that? Well, look at the letters that Paul, God used Paul to write. Paul mentions it in almost every epistle, especially in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, who were steeped in carnality. Well, why? Because if we would fully wrap our minds around the terror of the Lord that Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 5, I think this, it changed the way we do a lot of things around here. It changed the way we live in our daily lives. But I think it would also change the way and how we treat one another despite our differences. So here's what I titled the message this morning, The Judgment Seat and Diversity. And I realize it's a mouthful, but I believe there's a tremendous application that will help us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God. And I just, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help me this morning. I, I know it's been a while and just trying to get my legs back under me. But Lord, just so thankful for the faithfulness of those that were in the services and even preached and filled the pulpit. And I, I'm thankful, Lord, to be back home. Thankful that you brought us to where you've called us. And I pray that you would bless now and use me as your vessel. God, speak to hearts this morning. I pray that every person that's here 
there's been a time and place where they called upon the Lord and they know Christ as their Savior. But if that be the case, Lord, help us to realize the reality that one day we'll stand before you and give an account of ourselves. And God, that ought to cause us to, to humble ourselves and to be mindful of how we speak towards one another and treat one another. Would you bless the preaching now? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you be seated this morning? And again, I sure appreciate you standing in honor of God's Word. <clears throat> I think most people are probably aware of this this morning. Maybe, maybe some that are here are not. Uh, so I, I do want to kind of just, as we get into this, and we begin to look at the subject of the judgment seat of Christ, I just want to make sure that we understand, you know, this judgment and, and kind of give a, a, just, a, just a brief overview of the judgments that God has for, for mankind. Maybe, maybe not even into detail because there are, you know, we could, you know, even in, in Sunday school, uh, Brother Quinlan going through the book of Ezekiel, which a tremendous amount of study through but that book he has put into it, and it's just incredible. But there are going to be the judgment of the Jews and Old Testament saints and those kind of things. But, but I just want to give you some things. Pro- probably the most, the most recognizable judgment is what we would call the great white throne judgment of God. Uh, it's probably it's not the judgment that's mentioned in our text, but when you begin to talk about the judgment of God... If anybody's heard anything about the Bible or been in church in any amount of time, so to speak, they probably have heard something about this. I want you to just hold your place there in, in, in Romans and, and go with me to the book of Revelation in, in chapter number 20. It's where this is brought up. And I do want to kind of just give you a timeline here just so you'll, we'll all kind of be on board with this. But we understand as Bible believers that in the timeline of end time events, the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the saints. All right, now that's according to First Thessalonians chapter four and First Corinthians chapter fifteen. I don't have time to go back through here and lay all of these things out to you, but we understand. We as a church certainly stand on this. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the saints. We know that this is where the Lord comes for His saints. He's not appointed us under wrath, praise God. Uh, we know that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then uh, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together uh, in the clouds to meet Him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God for that. And, and then immediately following this, we know that the world is going to be plunged into the judgment of God. Uh, listen, like, like I, I, you think things are bad now, you've not seen anything yet, I'm... I'm just telling you right now, there's going to be uh, pestilence and war and famine and earthquakes and all of the things that people talk about the book of Revelation. That's a, that's a scary book. Well, yeah, if you're lost, you should be scared uh, because these are the things that are going to happen on the earth. Demonic activity like the world has never seen. And according to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, we know that that's going to be seven years. It's going to be seven years long. It's what we call the tribulation period. The Bible calls it great tribulation or Jacob's trouble because Israel is going to be kind of the focal point through all of that. And then following these seven years, Christ is going to return with His saints. Amen. We know this. He's going to, he's going to set up His throne in Jerusalem. The Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going to be defeated. Glory, hallelujah. 
cast into the lake of fire. Christ is going to uh, begin his millennial reign for a thousand years. Uh, Satan will be cast into the bottomless pit. And then after these thousand years, the devil will be loosed again. He'll uh, gather up an army for one final revolt against God. He will lose. He will lose. And, and certainly he will finally be done away with and cast into the lake of fire. Now that ends there in verse number 10 of Revelation chapter 20. Now look at verse number 11. See, after all of this becomes this great white throne judgment, and here's why we call it that. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead and, the, and, and, and small and great stand before God. Now watch this. It says, And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. That's important to note right there. And so it goes on and says, And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And, and here's what he says. This is the second death. So, so you understand, the heavens and the earth are going to be done away with. They're going to flee from the presence of this judgment all of mankind, down through the ages that has rejected God, will be brought before Him. Death and hell are going to give up the dead which are, which are in them. Books that have recorded man's deeds down through the ages are going to be brought forth and opened up. And he says another book, the book of life, will also be opened and man will be judged out of those books and cast into the lake of fire where Satan and his Antichrist and his false prophet are all at. And the Bible calls this the second death. It's what it, it's what it says. It's the death of the soul, friend, where man will forever be separated unto God. Now please, please listen to this. Please listen to this. You don't get anything else this morning. You need to get this. This is not a scare tactic of religion. Let me say that again. This is not a scare tactic of religion. This is biblical truth. This is what, no, no, no. This is what Jesus Christ said during His earthly ministry when He said this, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. It's not God's plan for man to go here, which is why He sent His Son to die in the place for man's sin. But you understand, man will spend eternity here if he doesn't know Christ as his Savior. And that, that's what this is dealing with. In fact, the only way, the only way to escape this, here's what he says in verse number 15. It says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You want to know how to escape this right here? Here's how you escape it. By having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, preacher, well, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go with me to chapter 21 and notice the Bible. Here, the Bible, oh, listen, it always, in its context, it explains itself, doesn't it? And look at chapter number 21. And notice verse number, verse number 24. It says, and the nations of them which are, what's that right there? Saved. Shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Now watch this. Now go down to verse number 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it. This is talking about the new heaven and the new earth. There shall no, in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, 
neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So now, now watch this. Please catch this. Did you see that those who are saved in verse 24 are synonymous with those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life in verse 27? You understand? That means this. That means that if we want to escape this judgment, then we've got to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And in order for you and I to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, it is the moment that we call upon Christ in salvation and we are saved. Not only is your sins forgiven and done away with and cast as far as the east is to the west, never to be remembered no more, but God puts your name in this book. Son, that's a glory hallelujah right there, isn't it? Now, you know, now, no, 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 no. Well, wait a minute. Well, how do you, how do you get saved? How do you, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, in the book of Romans, Paul explains it. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Huh. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. I said with the heart. Not with works, not with baptism, not with church membership, not with communion, not with making a confession. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It is when God deals with you and you humble yourself as a sinner and call upon Jesus Christ in salvation. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There has to be this time and place in your life that you can go back to in your mind's eye this morning and go, yep, that's where I got saved and called upon the name of the Lord and He saved me. That means this, your name was written down right there. Right there. And if you don't have that this morning, then I would say this, today needs to be the day of salvation. Now let me help you with this because I'm telling you, listen, I just got back from the belly of the beast. I really did. And I'm telling you, listen, it's not going to come through false religion. And it's not going to come through works and all this other nonsense and silliness that man's come up with today. I just, I, we, we, we got off, we did, a, we did a Mediterranean cruise. And I got, to, I got to stick my feet in the Mediterranean Sea. It was awesome. And I, it's, anyway, I ain't got time. I got to focus, focus. Because then I'll be starting talking about lasagna and we'll have to break and go eat lunch and come back. We got off our Mediterranean cruise and we went back to Rome the second time. And we had seen the Colosseum and the arches of, of Titus and Constantine and, and Palatine and, and all of this stuff and, and all of these things. But I wanted to go back and I wanted to see, I wanted to see th- this place. It's called St. Paul Outside the Walls. Isn't that the name of it? And, and it's basically it's where it's believed that the Apostle Paul's body uh, was at uh, uh, after he was beheaded by the Roman Emperor Nero. And, the, and Catholicism had built this giant building, probably about three times as big as this building, over the whole thing. And all of these pillars and stuff out here. And so we're walking around... And all I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at Natalie and it's probably a good thing nobody spoke English or at least probably couldn't understand redneck or I may not, I might have been in an Italian jail somewhere. <laughs> because I was like, this is everything that he preached against. Yeah, that's right. And I walk, we walked in 
And I remember, and I remember this. I walked down to where it was believed that, that Paul was buried, and, and it's just supposed. It's not, you know, there, it's not. There's no real confirmation there. But this is what I thought. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You kept the faith. You finished your course. And I walked up, and there was a priest with a bunch of Spanish tourists. And here's what they're up there saying. They're up there repeating Hail Mary and all this other stuff in Spanish. And my heart just broke. Because this is the stuff that thinks that it's going to save them and give them forgiveness of sin. It was the same thing. We went to St. Peter's Basilica and where Peter was, uh, Peter was crucified upside down for the faith, just like the Lord predict, uh, uh, prophesied He would do. And then uh, where His tomb is believed. And we walked down underneath it and went down underneath the building where all the tombs were at. And there was Peter right there. And they said, you can't take a picture. And I took a picture because I'm Baptist. I ain't Catholic. <laughs> Sorry. See, so I'm telling you, praise God, I'm back. I'm not in jail. Well, watch, watch this. We're standing there. And these two ladies get down and kneel down on the altar in front of Peter's body. And then there's some popes over there. And people are kneeling down and praying in front of this pope and in front of this saint. Now, listen, listen to me. They're all still in there. There's only one that rose from the dead and who has the authority to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. And both Paul and Peter testified that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ alone. And I'm telling you, friend, it doesn't matter how much that may, how spiritual that might make you feel or what kind of goosebumps that might give you. That is going to do nothing for your soul. And neither will Mary. It is through Jesus Christ alone. That is how someone is saved. And if there hasn't been a time and place where you've called upon the name of the Lord, then you need to be saved and you need to be saved today. You need to be able to go back to the Bible and go, I did it the Bible way. And that way you know, you know that your name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. Mercy. Now once you get saved, glory, hallelujah. But you need to understand this. Now watch this. Once you get saved, you've escaped that judgment. Glory. Praise God. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean as His child, you're never going to stand before Him and give an account of yourself. If you're saved, you are. And see, that's where this judgment seat of Christ comes in. See, if you, if, you know, when I was going through the timeline of things, and I said this, there's going to be this rapture of the saints, and the world is going to be plunged into the judgment of God called the tribulation period. Now watch this. While the earth is going through the tribulation period, the Bible begins to tell us this, that while we're with Christ up in heaven, we're going to be going through the judgment seat of Christ. And this is where we're going to give an account of ourselves. I, I will say this, praise God, our sin was judged on Calvary if we're saved. And so it's not like you're going to lose your salvation or anything like that. It's a judgment of service. And I've even said this it's in, in my past before. I've said things like this. It's not going to be a judgment of sin. It's going to be a judgment of service. But I, but I want to clarify and say this. That doesn't mean that sin won't be dealt with at this. Because there's going to be disobedience that's going to be dealt with. 
If not, then why did Paul bring it up to the church at Corinth on several occasions? But I also believe this, it's probably going to be how we dealt with one another. Which is why he brings it up right here. <clears throat> when I was pastoring in Cassville, Missouri at Bible Baptist Church, Brother, <clears throat> Brother Richard King and Jan King, they were frequent visitors at Bible Baptist Church. And he was, uh, you know, we'd have Brother King come in and preach. He was just a dear friend. And, and uh, him and, him and Miss Jan, they're just sw- some of the sweetest people on planet Earth. And, man, Brother King, he'd preach on Sunday. Now, listen, when I preach on Sunday, I go back home on Sunday afternoon, and I eat lunch, I get ready for Sunday night, and then I have a Baptist nap. Brother Richard King would come over to our house, and he would drink a cup of coffee and then start a Nerf war with my kids. And I could, you couldn't even close your eyes for you're getting shot. But I remember one time he was watching our three older kids before Emily came along, Madison and Taylor and Luke. And he was watching them interact, and he just started cracking up laughing. He goes, Brother, you need to read this book. It's called The Birth Order by Dr. Kevin Lamont. It's, it, it, the subtitle is this, Why You Are the Way You Are. And what it does is, is it talks about the oldest child and the middle child and the youngest child, and it begins to describe their, their tendencies and things like that. And he was like, your kids fit it to the T. He's like, the oldest kid, the oldest kid is the authoritarian in the home. They're the most like mom and dad and feel it's their responsibility to keep the other ones in line. Some of the older kids in here, if you're an only child like me, this has nothing to do with you. You're perfect. <laughs> All right. So you're off the hook. You're totally off. So the oldest child was the authoritarian, most like mom and dad, you know, handling down, handing down the discipline when mom and dad was. The middle child, total wreck. Taylor. Taylor had the craziest sense of style as a kid. I mean, she'd wear two different colored shoes. And we're like, what are you doing? She's like, this is, all right, whatever. Cut her hair twice, her bangs. Got in trouble the first time. Did it again. They were so, so short, she had a mullet for like three years of her childhood. <laughs> and then Luke comes along. The baby, the only boy and baby, totally spoiled and frustrated because he has one mom and two others that think they're her, his mom. I remember when Emily was born, Luke goes, great, now i got three moms. <laughs> and I don't know if this is how it's happened at your house, but I know how it's happened at, at my house before, where you, usually this is what happens, is that either the middle child or the youngest child, or both, have done something and have disobeyed and broken the rules, and the oldest child steps in, begins to correct them. They don't receive the correction, and so they decide, I'm going to be medieval here. Do some torturing. And then it gets total chaos, and it comes to mom and dad, and we have to sit down and try to listen to everybody's side of the story and discern which one's telling what and and what truth and this and that and the other. And nine times out of ten... The, the judgment is this. You're all wrong. You shouldn't have been doing what you're doing, and you don't have the right to... A, to you're not mom and dad. And you're both in trouble. Been there, done that, amen. 
You know what Paul's saying? You're all wrong. That's exactly what he's saying. That's exact, listen, that, that illustration right there is exactly what Paul is saying to the saints in Rome. To those, to those who are weak in the faith or immature in the faith, he said, listen, you're, you, you're, you complain and judge and criticize it, you're wrong. But those that are mature in the faith and just, you should be doing what I'm doing and be like me in it, you're wrong too. You're taking an authority that doesn't belong to you. And you're wrong. Everybody's wrong. Good news this morning, we're all wrong. Amen. But he's right. Amen. He's right. And what he's saying is this. <laughs> is that when we, when we begin to deal with diversities, differences in people... We've got to keep this whole scenario in mind. Go, go back with me. Go back with me to verses 1, 2, and, and 3 here. And I, just let me explain to you the context here. He says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disp- disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let, him, let, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not... And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. You see, you, so you, here in these verses, you, you got, you've got this difference of, of diversity over what is okay to eat. The mature in faith understand. Now, now please get this. Maturity and immaturity is not based on what someone denies themselves, but another one allows himself to have. Be careful of that. That can lead you down a lot of trouble. That, that's not the thing here. Watch this. The difference is this. It, it's, it's, over, it's over allowing the Bible, the uh, biblical truth to be applied to your life. See, after the flood, now watch this. After the flood, God determined what man could eat. He could eat meat. Uh, all right? And, and so God said that. So, so therefore, they understand that. And so... They eat all things, but then you have this immature, he says, or weak in the faith who will only eat herbs. And the root of their maturity was not that they were willing to deny themselves, but rather the unwillingness to let the Bible determine a personal decision in their life. And this is key because everyone wants to deem themselves this morning, I'm the mature one automatically. But really, let me say this, if you know what the Bible says about something, yet you're refusing to do it in your life, then the reality is this. That's an immature tendency, not a mature tendency. And so that's what he's saying. But notice in verse number 3, despite all of that, in verse number 3, he says, let not, him that dis- let not him that eateth despiseth him, or despise him that eateth not, and let, him, and, and let not him which eateth not judge him which eateth, for God hath received him. So, so here's what he's saying. Now watch this. As a result of the diversity, the mature in the faith despised the immature. They thought less of them. That's what that word means. They looked down their noses at them. But the immature in the faith, it says, they judged the mature. That means this, they criticized them. Despite their correction. Rebelled against them. Now go back to verse number 10. Now stay with me. Watch this. because I'm just, just explaining this and we're going to get into some application. Watch this. Look at verse number 10. He says, now watch this. He says, But why dost thou judge 
thy brother. Did you see that word judge? That is a reference, that is a direct reference back to the immature or weakened faith in verse 3. Then he says this, notice this, why dost thou set it not thy brother? We, we understand that's the same Greek word as despise in verse 3. It's a reference back to, to the mature in faith and their arrogancy towards the immature. Why, why are you doing that? And then he brings up, then Paul, you've got to go here. Because he says this, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. You're both wrong. You're both wrong. (laughs) The immature in faith, you need to learn to take correction. I I just, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you don't know it all. (laughs) So you need to be willing to take correction, but because here's why. No, 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 because here's why. Because one day you'll stand before Him and give an account of yourself. But, but to the mature in faith, watch this, you need to be careful about taking an authority that doesn't belong to you because here's why. Because one day you too will stand before Him and give an account of yourself. Listen, I, I think it goes without saying that there's an emphasis here all down through these three verses, 10, 11, and 12. There's an emphasis here that every one of us that are saved, we're going to stand before Christ. Come on, I mean, look, he says this in verse number 10. He says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse number 11, it's a quote of Isaiah, but he says this, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Anybody get this? In verse number 12, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's every one of us. You're saved this morning. You've escaped the great white throne judgment. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. But we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't you think that since that's a pretty big deal, that maybe we ought to take it in light of how we deal with one another's differences. In fact, I would say to you this, this is just the things that I came up with, I would say to you this, to the mature in faith, to the mature in faith, those who have made the Word of God the authority in their lives and their and they're, and they're doing their best to live according to it. That, that's the mature in faith. I, I would say to you this this morning. We need your influence. Come on, we need your influence. We, we, need, your, we need your counsel. We need your advice. We need your help. But please listen to this. It matters how you give it. It matters how you give it. You, you need to know this. You can't change anybody. Trust me, I, I mean, I, you know, there's been times I've thought about putting somebody in the headlock and dragging them to the altar. It's not, it's not how that works. You can't, you can't force it. You can't manipulate it. You know, those passive-aggressive comments and statements, it's not really going to work. And your job is not to condemn, chasten, even bring about consequences of evil 
Therefore, if you will keep this judgment in mind and not take an authority that doesn't belong to you, I'll tell you something, you can be used in a greater way. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter number 7. Just quickly with me. And I'm, and I'm almost done. I'm, this is not going to take very long. These two things are really not. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, I really believe this is, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ was actually aiming at in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, I've got to go there too for my, for my sake, but in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Judge not that ye be not judged. Now, I would say to you, if John 3.16 is the most known verse in the Bible, then this verse comes a close second in America. Because that's the cry of this generation. Don't judge me. I, I saw a meme one time that, that had this passage, right, this paragraph, and verses 2 through 5 were all scribbled out, and all it had was verse number 1 that you could read clearly, and it says how this generation interprets this passage. And I thought, that's hilarious. Because that's true. But you need to understand that it continues on. And yeah, 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 we're not to criticize and slander and all of that stuff. I get it. But that doesn't mean there shouldn't be times of correction and help. Because when Christ saved you, when Christ saved you, it's not His plan to leave you where you're at in your sin. But to see you grow in your faith and conform to Him. And if that be the case, then there has to be correction. And there has to be counsel. And there has to be help. But he goes on in verse number 2 and he says this, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite. Now watch this, he says this, first cast the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Did you catch that? So here's what he's saying, we ought to help our brother, but we need to go get help ourselves first. Ha! Because how are you going to help them if you ain't got help for you? See, the idea here is this, is that I'm supposed to get myself right with God. Because I know the one who can help me, and it ain't me. It's Him. And then I'm supposed to go to somebody else and go, hey, let me help you find the one that can help you. He's the one that helped me. And bring Him over. It's not, you just need to get some help. It doesn't work like that. Am I getting that? Man, that's good. You know, nine times out of ten, people have come into my office and said, hey, preacher, can I get some counsel from you, some advice? And they'll start going through their scenario. And in my mind, it's not, I don't, I'm not trying to be arrogant or prideful, but in my mind, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them and I'm thinking, how has, how, what, where has there been something in my life that is similar to what they're going through and what did God show me and help me? And then what I'll do is after they finish, I'll go, well, brother or sister, here's, what I, here's all I know. 
This is what was going on in my life, and it's similar to yours. And this is what God showed me, and this is what I did. Do you know this? That when, whenever you do it like that, it's amazing. They'll go, huh. I needed that. But when you just sit across the desk and go, you, you just need to quit. Be, get right. And looking down your nose at them and being ugly, that ain't going to help anybody. You know, maybe it should be that us that are mature in the faith and submitting ourselves to the obedience of the Scriptures, doing our very best, maybe it us, it's us that ought to step back and realize we're not perfect and we're not the standard. And the truth of the matter is we need help. And the same help we got, people around us need. Huh. There's something else, though. And don't be offended by this because the Bible uses this term, but the mature, the immature in the faith, the, the weak in the faith, he says, those struggling, watch this, those struggling to let the Word of God be the authority in their lives, you need to be willing to receive correction. Because one day you will stand before Him as well. There's no, listen, the mature in faith, the mature in faith, you're never going to achieve such righteousness that you won't even have to stand before the Lord one day. Oh, you're so great, just, you know, here's all your rewards and crowns and you're good. It's not going to work like that. And to the immature in faith that's sitting back in their arrogancy and their pride and their rebellion, listen, listen, you're not above the rules either. Every one of us are going to stand before Him. And so you need to be willing to receive correction. And, and oftentimes those that are mature in the faith, they're trying to help you. Prepare for that moment. I, I be, hmm. let, me, let me help you with this one. Here's a, here's a good one. When the Word of God is being given, be real careful about sitting there in the pew and dismissing it. And going, things like, well, you know, preacher, that's, that's for you, but that's not. No, it's not just for me. Well, you don't understand my special circumstances. No, 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 no. There are no special circumstances. You, you understand? There's no excuse and there's no reasoning for you to remain in your carnality and remain where you're at. God wants to change you. God wants to grow you through His Word and the working of the Spirit of God in your life. And you need to let God correct you. In fact, when a dear saint comes to you and puts their arm around you and tells you they've been praying for you and they love you and they care about you and they've seen some things in your life that aren't good and they're trying to encourage you to get out of those things and be more faithful unto Christ, please listen to this. Be careful in labeling them a bunch of Pharisees. You're just judging me. No, maybe it's because they've endured the consequences of what you're about to endure. And they're just trying to help you to avoid it. Because looking back, they're probably thinking, I wish I had somebody put their arm around me and help me to avoid it. Listen, I, I, could, I could keep going on and on with scenarios and mindsets and the things that people have in their heart and in their mind with correction and the preaching of God's Word, or whatever the case may be, but I want, you to, I want you to grab a hold of this. When my kids were disputing with one another, and the issue finally came to us as their parents, 
We had to sit them down and we had to hear each other's stories and, and discern which one was in the wrong and, or maybe more in the wrong than the other and then, and then divvy out the consequences based on the version of truth that we got. And sometimes we did a good job of that because if you ask the right questions, they'll spill the beans. And sometimes we didn't because we're human. But please catch this. When you stand before Him and I stand before Him, He's not going to have to do that. He's going to know what was said. He's going to know what was done. He's going to know the motive that was in your heart. He's going to know all of those things. And then He's going to deal with it. Years ago, I was with a preacher friend of mine. And we were just having some lunch together and we had uh, played some golf, I think, and we were having some lunch, and we started talking about just kind of where we were at in our preaching and our studies and, and stuff like that. And he started telling me, he said, I'm actually, I think it was either First or Second Corinthians, and he said, I'm, I'm on the judgment seat of Christ. And I remember he said to me, he said something along this line. He, he, he said this, he said, you know how the Bible says that eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard? And we talk about that as applying to the glories of heaven and that man can't even, can't even fathom in his mind everything that God has for us. And he, he said this, he said, I really think that also applies to the judgment scene. I don't think we realize the scene, the power, the fear of it all. It's why Paul said this in 2 Corinthians after talking about the judgment seat. He said, in knowing the terror of the Lord. I don't think I can imagine in my eye, mind's eye all of the saints down through the ages being around the throne of Jesus Christ and me coming up before it. And everything that I said to somebody personally or every thought that I had in my heart, all of that being exposed and manifested for everybody to see as the Lord Jesus Christ deals with me. Now I'm telling you, that alone right there ought to get our attention. Can I ask you something? If you know Christ is your Savior, what's going to be said when you stand before Him? How you received His Word. How you let it be the authority of your life. Or maybe even how you, how you treated others around you. That's what Paul's trying to get across to you. Let's all stand this morning.